Well, good morning. It's good to have you all here. It's good to have you as guests with us. Those of you that are here as family supporting um, Stephen Colton. You know, this is always it's always a special time when we get to see our family, grandchildren, um, nieces and nephews, make that commitment to Christ and and follow through with baptism. You know, we are as a church. We're in the middle of this journey through the story, which is. God's word. And so hopefully you have been following along. You've either been reading it or listening to it, but, but you've been following along and, and, and seeing how God is moving through history and, and, and what God is doing. And there have been ups and downs throughout this journey through the Bible. You know, this week, as you read the book of Joshua, uh, there were, as uh, Rodney Geiser said, man, there's a lot of killing that goes on in here. The wrath of God, really hard to explain. But here's the deal. You know, when we get to the end of Joshua, it seems like, or at least appear, it appears like there's good news. I mean, Joshua, you know, he challenges the people and he says, you know, choose you this day who you will serve. And he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and the people responded by saying, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And then it ends with Israel serve the Lord. This is Joshua 24. Serve the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done in Israel. So it appears like in the closing chapters of Joshua, it's good. The people have abandoned the gods that they've served in Egypt and and all the other gods, and they're serving the one true God. And in Joshua 24, verse 14, you know, Joshua says, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers, worship beyond the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And he says, but if serving the Lord is undesirable, then choose for yourself who you're going to serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers serve beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So, so Joshua gives this, gives this challenge to his people. You know, the choice is up to you. You've got to decide who you're going to serve. And the people responded, it appears, in a positive way. They desired to serve the one true God. Far be it from us, they say in uh, chapter 16, far be it from us. To forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us out and our our fathers out of Egypt from the land of slavery. And performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among the nations through which we have traveled. So they understood who God was. They understood what he had done. They had seen him do many great things and they wanted to serve him. But it doesn't take us long into the book of Judges, which you're going to be reading this week, to figure out that 
the generation after Joshua was not faithful. It says in Judges chapter 2, if you would turn there with me in Judges chapter 2, it says that in verse 10, it says, After the whole generation had gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done in Israel. So, so after Joshua's generation died off, after they were gone, it says that, that the generation after them didn't know who God was or what he had done. And it says, as a result of not knowing him, in verse 11, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Now remember, Joshua had been commanded last week in, in the book of Joshua to, to get rid of all the Canaanites, to get rid of all the idol worship and the people that were worshiping idols. But it obviously was still there. And it says, they forsook the Lord their God and their fathers who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods and the people around them. And it says... They provoked the Lord to anger. And we know that when God becomes angry, there are consequences. Now, so today here in the book of Judges, we, we're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to learn this week how God responds to their idolatry. Now, Judges aren't... You know, when we think of a judge, we think of a guy with a black robe sitting on a bench um, making legal um, decisions, deciding whether people are guilty or are running courts. But, but judges at this time, judges were spirit-endowed leaders who were chosen by God to save and deliver Israel from their enemies. So as judges, they worked to free the oppressed people of Israel when they fell into, to, into oppression. And there were 12 judges over a period of about 325 years that, that served as judges during this time. And this week, what I want you to do as you look, as you read through Judges, there's going to be four movements that are repeated cycles or patterns in the Judges. And, and, and they will be repeated six different times. And, and, and the four movements are, are there, there, there's sin that happens, and then there's oppression, followed by repentance, and then ultimately, ultimately deliverance. But the first movement that we see in Judges always is this, this falling into sin. And we see it in Judges chapter 3. Now, the first two chapters of Judges is still the children of Israel being victorious as they go out and they capture the land. But then in chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. In other words, they fell back into idol worship. And we see the movements here. And then the next verse, verse 8 says, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of, of, of the Cushion Rishishtayim, king of Aram, and says, To whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. 
Then we see the next move and it says, Then, but when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer. And we see the, the, the judge Othaniel, son of uh, who actually was, was a nephew of Caleb. Remember Joshua and Caleb? Well, one of the first judges was a nephew of, of Caleb. And it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. So he became Israel's judge and went to war. So we see these movements. Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. But right away in verse 12, it says that the land had peace for 40 years in verse 11. But verse 12, it says, once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, he gave them over to another power. Now, what, first of all, what caused the children of Israel who had seen these many great acts, who had seen God do great things in delivering them, why do they continue to fall back into sin? Why is it? Well, when you, when you look at the children of Israel, there were two mistakes that they made after conquering the land. You see, God is a God who desires us to worship him only. You know, the Bible says that, that he is a jealous God. Um, Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, he wants us to delight in him. And remember in Exodus chapter 20, he said that we are not to bow down before any other idols. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for their sin of, the, of their fathers to the third and the fourth generation. So God desires for his children to worship him only. Nothing else. But when we look, as you look through here, you're going to see the mistake that they made. And the first mistake they made is when they went into the land of Canaan. They did not drive out all the Canaanites, and this led to their sin of idolatry. See, they didn't, they, basically, they didn't obey God when God said, wipe the nation clean, get rid of everything. They didn't, com- they didn't listen completely to, to, to what God wanted for them. They didn't like his plan, and so they sort of did their own thing. They were sort of obedient, but, but not completely. And as a result, they suffered for their disobedience. Because in Judges chapter 1, verse 28, it says that, that when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor but never drove them out completely. And that's what they had been instructed to do, to wipe them out, to drive them out. And it says that they decided to to do their own thing. They decided, you know what, we'll do it our way. Because we know, we know what's best. You know, we know, and you know, are we like that? But as a result of their disobedience to God in driving out the Canaanites, they became what many scholars call the Canaanization of Israel. In other words, the people of God became more and more like the world around them. 
You know, so rather than the children of Israel influencing the Canaanites and influencing those who worshipped Baal and introduced and, and didn't introduce them to the one true God, but slowly but surely they got sucked into worshipping the idols of the Canaanites, the gods of the Canaanites. And before they knew what happened, they were in bondage to the Canaanites and to the gods of the Canaanites. You know, the children of Israel, they were not necessarily forcibly uh, driven into the worship of Baals. They willingly gave in to the worship of these pagan gods. And I don't believe that it was this thing where one day they were worshiping the one true God and a couple weeks later they had just fallen into to, to pagan worship, worship of Baal. I believe it was a slow, gradual process of them slowly but surely giving in to society around them. At first condoning what was going on and and slowly you know just just being okay with what was going on and and, and becoming may, maybe beginning to take apart a little bit just just so they could be friends with the people with their neighbors so their neighbors were were Baal worshipers so in order to be friendly and 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 to be hospitable and 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 so that they could have social stuff they were okay with it they allowed it and they, they became interested in it. And, and, and for the sake of business, you know, so that the business would, would go on and would get better, they condoned and they fell into, I believe this was a gradual process of them falling into this, this Baal worship until one day they were in it. And they wondered how they got there. I look at, the church today. I, I look at believers today. I look at myself. And I ask myself. Am I like the children of Israel? Am I be becoming canonized? Am I becoming more and more okay with, with the sin of the world? Am I moving the bar? You know, am I basing sin on what God's word says or on what's comfortable for me? And I see us compromising slowly but surely and becoming more and more like the world. And I fear what happened to the children of Israel is happening to us because we're just okay with, with what's going on in the world. You know, we're, we're compromising. You know, we're, we're listening to the loud voices of the day that, that tell us the church needs to accept sin, the church needs to redefine sin. In order to be relevant with society, we've got to be okay with these things. We've got to be okay with homosexuality and abortion and cohabitation. And that many roads lead to heaven. That there are many ways to get to heaven. So we have to be okay with, with, with Islam and, 
and, and, and Hinduism and because those all lead to heaven. But if I read my Bible, it says, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. But are we compromising to the point of being canonized to where the next generation? You know, already when you read Barna's statistics on, on, on sinful lifestyles, the church is pretty much even with the world when it comes to divorce and, and, and cohabitation and, and sex before marriage. We think just like the world does. We believe in peace at any cost. And it's costing us our faith. We believe that unity means we have to compromise our principles. So we have to be careful that we don't allow our environment to influence us towards doing wrong things. And we have to be careful that, that, that we're not like the Israelites who, who, who allowed sin to, to, to influence them and, and rather than them influencing the world. And, and, and like them, you know, they didn't drive out the idolatry. They didn't drive that out. They just were okay with it. And, and is that sort of what we're starting to do? I believe we are called to love all people, to share the gospel with people. But the gospel also is for us to share in order to convict people. We can't compromise the way that the children of Israel compromise because it costs them dearly. The second thing that I see that they didn't do that that caused them to fall into sin is that they didn't teach their children about God and the great acts of deliverance that they had experienced themselves. They didn't teach their children. And therefore, after Joshua's generation, it says that there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work in which he had done in Israel. You know, the generation after Joshua did not know the one true God. Therefore, they worshipped the God of the land. Moms and dads, are you teaching your children? Are you bringing your children up in a home where God's word is read? Where God's word, his principles are practiced? Where he is a priority? Rather than an afterthought. Because it takes one generation to lose that. And we see that slowly happening in our nation. We see slowly but surely we see, and I think the latest statistics are about 25% of people this morning in America are are attending a worship service. Are gathering together as a body to worship. 80% 80% say they believe they, they're, they're believers, and yet 20, 20% are a part of a gathered body. And there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. But as a result here in, in Joshua of, of parents not teaching their children, of not teaching the next generation, 
their children became ignorant. And here's the result. It says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. It says in his anger, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. You know, mom and dad, um, grandma and grandpa, the generation after you is this close to losing out. This close to losing out. And for the children of Israel, when, when, they, when they forgot God, when they became idolaters, and, and, and idolatry can be, oftentimes is something good that we begin to worship. Mark Driscoll says, idolatry is something that is good that we begin to worship. And I see that. I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here and I'm getting away, but, but I see that. I see us, us taking good things and beginning to worship them. They become more important than the one true God. They become what we live for. And when we begin to do that, we will lose out. And I believe God will not stand for that. And we will suffer the consequences for putting other things before him. What in your life is more important than God right now? It could be a relationship. It could be your Xbox. It could be your job. It can be a lot of things. And it's a very dangerous place for us to be. So movement number one was sin. They would fall into sin. But as a result of falling into this sin, they would, they would, the second movement was always oppression. In other words, God would remove his hand of protection and he allowed surrounding nations to oppress his people. There was always this thing of, of sin and then he would remove his protection from them. Other nations would come in and oppress them. And they would fall into slavery. See, God's only possible response to Israel's decision to follow another God was, was to, 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 to remove his protection and allow wrath to come upon them. Remember last week I said that God, he used the children of Israel to, to exercise wrath on the Canaanites because of their idol worship. But now, this week, you will see, you will see the Canaanites and other ites Exercising wrath on the children of Israel because of their idolatry. Remember last week I said, the wrath of God is a divine response to human sin and disobedience. And that's what you're going to read about this week. God's response to the children of Israel's idolatry and disobedience. So we have sin, sin, oppression. 
then as the children of Israel feel oppression, you'll read this throughout the week, as, as, as they become oppressed and they're in bondage to, to other nations, they turn to God. They turn back to God. So movement number three always is, is repentance. There's sin, there's oppression, and then we see the nation of Israel repenting. You see, when we live in sin and, and, and we are being oppressed, and you know, some of you, I think we have people, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. We see David in Psalms, Psalm 32, when he was living in sin and, and he was oppressed. Here's what it says. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not cover, my, cover up my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions before the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, there was freedom there when David repented of his sin. But movement number three was repentance. The oppressed people cried out to God for help. They turned back to the Lord. They, they, they had a change. Repentance is not just a turning, but repentance is to change one's mind. True repentance will result in a change of action. And we see the children of Israel. They, 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 when they repented, there was a change. They, 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 they went back to worshiping and serving the one true God rather than the Baals, the gods of the nations around them. And then when they repented, God would send a judge to them who would then deliver them from their sin. In Judges 3, 9, it says, But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised them up, raised up for them a deliverer. And we see this happening over and over again where they, they fell into sin, they were oppressed, they repented, and then God would send a deliverer to free them from the bondage that they were in. God would deliver the nation from their oppression. And so th those are the movements that you will read about throughout this week. But the thing that I have to, I kept asking myself is, how do I apply, what's the application here for me? Because you see, we all, from time to time in our lives, we fall into sin. You know, we don't keep God on the throne of our lives. And, and some of you, the reality is that's the state you're living in right now. God is not on the throne of your life. You're doing your own thing. You're going your own way. You're worshiping your own things. You are living in sin. That's where some of you are at. Now, what often happens when, when we fall into sin? Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 5 says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live according to the, to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. It says the mind of the sinful man is death. But the, mind of, uh, but the mind controlled by the spirit of, is life and peace. You see, you can only live in sin for so long before, before you begin to experience oppression. You know, sin can be fun for a season. 
I'm just being honest. People enjoy sin for a season, but it always, always catches up with you. And that ultimately will lead to oppression. Just like the children of Israel, we get oppressed. Our fellowship with God and other people is broken. And we become miserable. And the reality is, some of you are living in that oppression. Because you have broken relationship with God, because you're doing your own thing, you're not feeling... You've had relationships that have been broken. Um, and, and, and God is far, far away from you. It's not because God has moved anywhere. It's because of your sinfulness. Psalm 31, or Psalm 32, back to David, when David had committed sin with Bathsheba, and he was hiding it. It says, blessed are, are he whose transgressions are given, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man who sins the Lord, does not count against him. And again, he says, when I kept silent, my bones were wasting away. David was experiencing oppression because of his unforgiven, unrepented sin that he had fallen into. But then in verse 5 of, of Psalm 32, he says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions before the Lord. And said, And you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, because David was feeling that oppression, it brought him to a point of repentance. See, we go from sin to oppression, then we repent and confess. And when we repent and confess, we are restored through the blood of Jesus to a relationship with God. As 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sins, he is righteous and just. And he cleanses me, restores me to that relationship. 2 Corinthians 7, 7, 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance. And then when we have repented of our sin, then we experience deliverance. We experience the joy and the fruitfulness of life in the presence of God. Of a life in relationship with Jesus Christ. Psalm 1611 says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. So I would guess that this morning we have people at all stages of this journey. Some living in sin and being unrepentant. Some, some living in sin and, and, and feeling the oppression Feeling the distance from God. Feeling like God isn't there. And it's also cost you relationship with people around you. You're living in that. And you're miserable. And all God wants is for you to come to him and to repent and say with David, I have sinned. And when we come to that point of repentance, it brings restoration with God. And restoration with God brings peace, brings life. 
It doesn't always make things easier as far as what's going on around us, but it brings you peace. My question this morning is, what stage are you at in this journey? Because if you're living in a state of sin, I want to pray for you this morning. If you're being oppressed, I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that you come to a point of repentance, of understanding how much Jesus loves you and how much he desires to have relationship with you. Because I'm here to tell you, life doesn't have to be like that. So I want to pray for you. That you would experience deliverance through your repentance. Why don't you stand with me? You know, I'm going to close in prayer. Um, if you would like for me to pray for you, if you would like one of our elders to pray for you, um, personally, more specifically, as I'm praying, you go ahead and you come on up and, and, and we'll lay hands on you and we'll pray for you. Father, this morning I'm so thankful that I don't have to live in sin. Lord, I'm so thankful that because of the blood of Jesus, because of Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, that I can be in relationship with you. Lord, that I don't have to to live in bondage, but Lord, that you've given us an avenue And you desire for us to walk in the freedom of life in you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for for the people that right now are living in sin. That your spirit would convict them and move in them. And, 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 and Lord, I pray that you would bring them to a point of of misery. To a point of oppression in, in a way that draws them back to you. And Lord, I pray for those that that are already feeling that oppression. Father, that you would bring them to a point of repentance, of crying out to you. Receiving the forgiveness and love that comes only from you. That they could experience deliverance. And Lord, um, as, as a delivered child, I pray that we would go forward from this place. And we would share the good news of the gospel. We would share Jesus. We would not become canonized. But we would take the good news of Jesus to work. We would take the good news of Jesus to our friends. Oh, that we would live a life that is, is fruitful and productive. And a life that honors and glorifies you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.